the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we're talking about yet another top prospect call-up, as well as more closer volatility. But first, I wanted to thank all of our listeners. Uh, the other day, I checked iTunes, but I was curious if we ranked anywhere on the top of the podcast charts and what our feedback and our ratings were. And sure enough, we were in the top 200 of the sports and recreation podcasts at number 64. Now, 64 on an absolute basis doesn't sound amazing or anything, but think about this. This is all sports and recreation podcasts of the world, and we're 64th. That's pretty damn good. And this is only our 24th episode, and that's awesome, I think. You know, I mean, does that excite you? Excites me. I want number one. Okay, so... If you guys enjoy the podcast, which, I mean, it's Eno and I. I don't know why you wouldn't. Of course you enjoy it. So tell your friends, get them to listen, and also rate us on iTunes. I have no idea how the charts work. I don't know if it's strictly downloads or if the ratings come into play. But if you enjoy it, rate us, leave some feedback. We always enjoy reading that kind of stuff. So, And as always, if you have any suggestions or feedback, email us, tweet us, and, and let us know what your thoughts are on the show. Speaking of tweets, Eno, did you read this whole hullabaloo, hubbalo, hubbalo, I don't even know what the word is. Hubba, hubba, hubba. <laughs> Ian Stewart's tweets. Have you been reading about that? Oh, no, I missed that. What did he do? Oh, my gosh. It was a whole series of tweets that he was talking about how, oh, the Cubs won't call him up, even if Luis Valbuena or Anthony Rizzo get injured. He's not getting the call. They think that uh, he thinks that Dale Swain hates him. And so now he's in all kinds of trouble. He's probably going to be fined. I think it's hilarious. I think this kind of, kind of stuff always gets so overrated and blown out of proportion. Like, who cares? He's tweeting this stuff. Big freaking deal. He's having some fun. Well, maybe it's not all in fun for the Cubs organization, but I think it's kind of funny. Well, you think in the past he just would have said that to a coach or a player or a coach would have overheard it. He would have gotten in trouble and nobody, none of us would have known about it. And I guess that's the uh, beauty of Twitter is we get all we get to see, uh, you know, the little the little dust ups that usually happen in baseball. I mean, he's not the first prospect to say, you know, God, they hate me. Why aren't they calling me up? You know, and he's probably not even a prospect anymore. Actually, no, I don't. I think he's already passed his prospect status, and now I think <laughs> he's more of bust status. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's batting like sub two hundred in AAA at the moment. Oh, my God. So why is he even opening his mouth? Uh, because that's Ian Stewart. And, and I was actually reading some other tweets talking about how the uh, Rockies were saying that he was bad in the clubhouse. They were happy to get rid of him. So I don't think Ian Stewart is very liked at the moment, but I think it's funny. And actually, you were talking about Twitter and and, and problems that sometimes athletes have when they, they type things up. And David Price and some of the other uh, Tampa Bay Rays earlier in the season also – uh, had issues because of a problem with uh, an umpire. They got into some verbal disagreement and they took it to Twitter. And I think it's just so funny how these people get fined because of what they say on Twitter. So 
Well, actually, you know, the price thing for me is a little bit different because he was actually, he had a point and he wanted to get his viewpoint across. And yeah. I actually think that was sort of how Twitter is empowering for the player. Because yeah, I thought uh, David Price's tweets were fine. I was surprised as well at the punishment. Yeah, he meant to say what he meant. He, he thought about it for a while and it was after the game, like well after the game. And he... He wanted to say this thing because, you know, otherwise he was just going to get... I think he was probably going to get in trouble anyway. I mean, there was a lot of back and forth in the game and all that stuff. So, um, you know, there's a possibility he gets in trouble anyway. And, and he felt like his side of the story wasn't being told. So he, he told it. So I thought that was actually kind of great. I mean, without calling a press conference or, or, you know, even if you just tell it to a beat writer, that means you know what the readers of one newspaper read about it doesn't mean that you get to sort and and they also gets filtered the beat writer writes it down and then gets to decide how the quote is used um you know if you go to twitter you give your quote to the masses so a little bit different i mean i guess that's what stuart ian stewart was doing but it, it wasn't uh well thought out no, it wasn't, but it's quite entertaining when you read his tweets and then you read the media reaction so i say athletes keep on tweeting <laughs> yeah, please. Please do. Uh, all right, let's get to our most interesting player alive today. And uh, The number one guy we talked about last week, uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, who is making me look worse and worse after every start. The fact that I'm not uh, as uh, optimistic on him as everybody else seems to be. So uh, we might end up talking about him soon about me being wrong. But the next guy who I think is probably going to be atop the Search for leaderboards for the foreseeable future is Yasiel Puig. And he's probably going to always be at the top there. So we're not going to be talking about him every show, obviously. Number three, though, Corey Kluber, who Carson Sestouli clearly has a fascination with. Since May 21st, and yes, I counted this, Carson has included Corey Kluber's name in his Daily Notes title six times, including today in which he announced the formation of the Corey Kluber Society. Eno, <laughs> are you applying for membership in this society? Uh, well, it's very interesting. Um, he, uh, he gets a lot of strikeouts, and his swing strike rate is probably elite. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking at the leaderboards for that, but it's uh, you know 11.2. That's well above average, and so I, I, I believe in his strikeouts. Um, and uh, he does have a 93 mile an hour fastball that he's added a little uh, added a little hump to over the last couple of years. Um, he's 27, so I guess in in some ways that's a peak. You know, unclear if that's a peak for all pitchers, but uh, his cutter looks like it's great. It's probably a slider, but he's got a, a cutter that's a 80 that a 89.90. Uh, he uses almost a quarter of the time, and he avoids platoon splits by uh, having a good changeup. So. You know, the only thing that I think is weird when I look through his numbers, because I otherwise I'd say unqualified, yes, I love, he hits all the marks, his control is great. Uh, he's given up a lot of home runs over his career. Uh, I don't know what that is. It, he, he Maybe he used to have worse velocity. Uh, maybe he doesn't have, maybe he has okay control, but not great command. But I know for sure that if you look up and down his minor league home run rates, those are high for minor, the minor leagues. He is... He's been consistently near and over one uh, homer per nine, and that's uh, followed him into the majors where he's given up one and a quarter per nine. So um, I think he's a, he's a guy that would be normally in sort of the mid threes with a nice whip, uh, but then you've got to add a home run on top of that. Well, I rarely bring this up or, or lean anywhere near this side of the fence. 
But what I've said in the past that people tend to forget is that when we talk about – here's a guy right now with a 341 BABIP this year, a 344 career rate, granted only 116 innings, but currently sports a 345 career Sierra versus a 501 ERA. Now, normally, me as well as a lot of stat head guys would say, oh, he's been unlucky, he's a great by low, he's a guy who could have mixed league value. But what we forget is that those bad bip regression to the league average, the home run per fly ball rate to the league average, the Sierra, that's all assuming a major league quality pitcher. As I and I'm sure others always say, you know, me, if we were given a chance to pitch in a major league rotation, do you think we would have a 300 BABIP? Would we allow home runs only on 10% of fly balls? Of course not. <laughs> yeah. This only applies to major league quality pitchers. Now, I'm not saying that Corey Kluber is not major league quality because his BABIP is over 300, so he must not be. What I'm saying is to at least allow for that possibility. If we look over his minor league career, granted, BABIP marks in the minor leagues are higher than they are in the major leagues, but... He's also posted inflated marks nearly every single season in the minor leagues. Right now, his uh, line drive rate allowed is 25%, way above the league average. So it strikes me that there is at least a non-zero possibility that this is a pitcher who may not regress to the league average. And he's not necessarily major league quality in his ability to prevent hits on balls and play. There's also uh, something to be considered is his age. I mean, he's 27 now, and before his... 27th birthday, he only had about 60 innings in the major leagues. So, uh, you know, something's missing. And, you know, maybe I need to watch him pitch a couple more times. But something's missing because, you know, with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, you'd think that uh, he'd be in the major leagues before his 26th birthday. So, uh, you know, he's also been uh, traded twice. No, he's been traded once. Um, but, uh, he, you know, any pitcher that takes – Four attempts at AAA uh, makes me worry a little bit. I mean, it, it just means that he's probably not an upper echelon pitcher, even though his, his swing strike rights are there. So maybe he's just a guy that people swing and miss a lot, but when they do make contact, uh, they wallop it. Um, I don't know, maybe he hangs a lot of sliders. I mean, that's partly to your conversation, whether or not he's a, you know actually a major league pitcher. There, there are pitchers that can get swinging strikes, but you know, have flaws that keep them from being major league pitchers. I mean, remember Daniel Cabrera, that dude, <laughs> that dude could get whiffs, you know, out the wazoo, but he just couldn't find his own at all. And after a while we realized, Oh, not a major league pitcher. So, um, you know, I think he's definitely worth a watch in deep leagues. He should be owned in all deep leagues, mixed leagues. I mean, maybe put him on your roster, but don't start him for the next start. Just to, just to know a little bit more, you know? And Kluber's skills in the minor leagues have really bounced around all over the place. I mean, his strikeout percentages have basically ranged from about 17% all the way up to 26%, even 31% in single A. So it's really difficult to get a, a real grasp as, as what you might normally expect from him and what his true talent level is. So he's somebody who I really struggle with because obviously his underlying skills right now are fantastic. But given his minor league track record, you are concerned that they're not sustainable. And, and the fact that he's basically always had high bad bit marks, you just wonder if that's just a skill that he lacks. So, yeah, he's somebody that I don't know what would make me come around to him. But he's obviously somebody worth watching and could potentially have value. 
but I'm just not confident. I just, I just don't know. All right, let's move along to a breaking news call-up who was just called up uh, recently, uh, recently today, a couple of hours ago. And uh, wasn't he the star of actually our intro rap? Wasn't Mike Zanino actually named in the rap? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to yeah, listen to it again. I, yeah, I think Mike Zanino's name was like the only name that was named in our rap. So <laughs> the, the, uh, how weird that would be. <laughs> I know. How cool is that? <laughs> actually in our rap is finally called up to the big leagues. So Mike Zanino is called up to the Mariners after Jesus Montero has been demoted. No, oh, I know what you're talking about. He's saying Mike and Eno. Mike Anino? Mike and Eno. Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. Oh God, I gotta listen to that again every time I hear it. I think All right, it's Mike well, Zanino. Mike Zanino is like somehow related to Mike Anino. I like that. That is awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. This whole time, I've well, been hearing it as Mike Zanino. I'm like, oh, Mike Zanino. Okay. I wish, I wish we were, I wish we were uh, named after a better player. I mean, he's coming up, but he can't hit a curveball. And uh, it sounds like, you know, most people around baseball are, are kind of looking at this like, oh no, like the GM over there is trying to save his job, and he's trying whatever he can, whatever he can do to save his job. And I, I think that means that. Uh, Holtson is on his way real soon. We might even see Taiwan Walker. I mean, when he when he sent down Ackley, he basically said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to try and win some games this year because I'm out otherwise. Or at least show, show you know, ownership and fans that I've developed some good players. So I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, and I think the biggest concern right now is look at that strikeout rate. 28% at AAA. Uh, last year, obviously, tiny sample, 51 at-bats, but his strikeout percentage was only 12%. And previous years, it was around you know 20% or so. This is a, a really bad sign that he's going to have any success whatsoever at the major league level at this point. And he's not even making it up by walking. I mean, his walk rate is below average as well. So right now, it looks like the only skill he, he possesses is good power and actually excellent power for a catcher. But if you're going to hit 210 with barely any walks, that's like a 250 on base percentage. I mean, this is a guy who's not going to provide any positive offensive value whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I think it's really, it, I don't know how sad it's going to be. We're going to see how sad it is because I, I'm not sure exactly how rushing goes and if rushing is a big deal or not. But I think if, if there is a moment when rushing a prospect could be a big deal, it could be here because... What happened was he got to AAA, and they literally, the scouting port got out there, and you know people were just like literally like he can't hit a curveball. So basically, you know that's why if you look at his at his minor league line, he's got he had a great AA numbers, didn't have uh, problems with strikeouts, was walking, hitting for power, looked like everything that he was supposed to be, you know top 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 pick, and then the scouting port got out there in AAA, and the and the AAA pitchers. They may not have the best stuff. They may not even have as good a stuff as double-A pitchers, but triple-A pitchers know how to get guys out. So um, they're, they're mostly veteran. They're like sort of young veterans where they're kind of in between the majors and the minors. Not so much double-A where you'll have like legit prospects coming up. Triple-A is, is our, our pitchers that know what they're doing, and what they're doing is setting them up with a curveball and striking them out with a curveball. So, uh, you know, I mean – it can't be everything because not every pitcher has a curveball. But it does mean that that 
the major leaguers are probably going to tear him up and uh, that he probably should still be in the minor leagues. Do you have any idea what his defensive reputation is? I mean, that there's definitely no there's definitely no question he'll stick a catcher. There's, there's nothing like uh, Jesus Montero. So he's, and he's good enough, basically. He's good enough for the, for the real-life team. It might actually make sense because they have a backup catcher starting right now in Kelly Shopwick. And they have a double-A backup uh, backing up the, in the major leagues in whoever, I don't even know, oh, Sucre. And then um, they have, so they have Zanino. So Zanino, can Zanino outproduce Sucre? Probably. Just by well, just, Sucre is injured, and that's probably why they decided to God. pull up Zanino. Right, so it's even worse than that. But <laughs> uh, So I don't even actually, I don't even know who the backup catcher is in Seattle right now. I guess it's Mike Zanino. Well, I would assume, well, now it's probably going to be Shopik. Um, I assume that they're going to call up Zanino to play every day or play for a week. He's going to hit zero, and then they'll just send him back down. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, basically, you don't really have much hope at this point, and he's not somebody that mixed leaguers should pick up. I mean, what about, like, let's say our Tout Wars League, 15-team mixed two-catcher league. Is he somebody worth taking a chance on. I mean, obviously, if you really have nobody a catcher, obviously you might as well roll the dice. But is he actually going to earn any value in that type of a league? Um, well, you know, there's a slight, slightly better chance in our tout uh, league, which actually uses on-base percentage. So uh, I would say that there's a slighter chance just because maybe he comes up to the bigs and decides, you know what, I'm just not going to swing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Because I mean, he could do that. I mean, in the past, he's 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 shown a good eye, so he could walk some, and um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe the, he'll he'll rise up to the level of competition. But this is about the fastest we've ever seen a catcher um, come to the major leagues, and I don't think it's a good news. I don't think it's good news. And I'm what I'm really worried about is those in dynasty leagues because I own him in a dynasty league, and I need a catcher. But you know, right now. I'm not going to slot him. I mean, I have Brantley and um, Tyler Flowers, and I'm, I'm not sure that I will slot in Zanino over, over either of those guys. And, and your team is a perfect example of, not to hate on your team, but it's an example of a team that really needs help a catcher that when you have those players starting, it's probably worth it to take a shot on Zanino. But if you have to lose that rookie status or whatever the rules are, then it may not be worth it. Well, you're right. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll play him over Flowers, I guess. I mean, it's an 18-team dynasty. But, Whoa. You know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like it's the biggest problem in the world that I have these pitchers, these catchers. But, you know, and the team's decent otherwise. So just to defend my team, my honor, Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess I'll play Zanino over Flowers. I mean, that's that's my recommendation. <laughs> You're gonna wait. You're, you're gonna you know, pick, over flowers. <laughs> you're, you're gonna pick Rob Brantley over Tyler Flowers, is what you're saying to start. <laughs> I think I think that's the bigger issue we have to work on here. Uh, I don't honestly. When I look at catcher, I just plug in whoever's playing that day because oh, it's the LA Transactions League. Yeah, and they're all terrible. <laughs> all right, let's move on to Atlanta where Jason Hayward has finally awakened from his slumber. Will this actually continue? I mean, is he back? Because the last time we talked about him, we basically said that all of his peripherals look fantastic. And it actually, 
if you hadn't looked at his service stats, you would think that he would be in the midst of a breakout, aside from his uh, isolated slugging and, and his bad bit being down. Everything else are great. And, and now he finally starts to come around. Is this the beginning of Jason Hayward being back? Yes. That was the most concise answer I've ever heard <laughs> in the history of my podcasting slash radio show career. Yeah, I just I I I uh, I never was really that worried about him. I guess the the uh, appendectomy makes you makes you think. People were talking about Adam Dunn, but Adam Dunn was older, and there were age issues uh, involved there. Hayward's young. You know, I knew I knew an athlete in college. Uh, she got she had her appendix out in a very similar situation, uh, and was a swimmer at, at Stanford. And she was swimming uh, pretty soon after. So, I feel like uh, I feel like he's fine. He's I like the fact that he's hitting more fly balls this year. I think there's going to be more power when all said and done, um, at least on a rate basis, because he missed some time. And uh, he's always been a little, a little bit better in on-base percentage leagues than batting average leagues. But I think there's probably still the chance that his owners underrate him. But there might be the chance that the, the buy-low period is over. Yeah, I'm completely fine with him as well. I think he'll rebound. He'll be perfectly fine. But there was – or there is one area of concern, and that's with his stolen bases. If you extrapolate his season out to about the same number of at-bats as he had last year – then you're left with four steals and only 12 attempts. And last year he stole 21 bases in 29 attempts. And this is has the potential to take a big bite out of his fantasy value because when he goes from uh, you know a 25 to 30 home run guy with 15 to 20 steals, that's a lot different than 25 to 30 home runs and five steals. So how much does that concern you? And do you think that his steals are going to pick it up or that's it? We're looking at single digits all year. Um, I, you know, I've always, I've always worried about penciling him back in for 20 steals a year, just because if you watch him and you look at his body type, he's huge. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. And I think, um, you know, the trout's very singular in that he's so big and yet so fast and he's a different player. So I think that most of the time when you see a guy that has a lot of power and, and steals 20 but when he's young, that doesn't mean he's going to continue to steal 20. You know, there were, there were years when Pujols stole 15-plus. Um, but it just means that he's not going to be a negative in the category. I think that he'll steal about 10, and he'll, he'll be a positive in every category, um, and, uh, and particularly in power. And I, did, I just don't, I, I don't put him up there. Even Harper's going to steal more than him, so I guess that's that's a way to sort of to put Hayward behind Harper when they're both healthy. Yeah, and the thing is, is he's hitting right in front of Justin Upton and basically a murderer's row of guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. So really, there's no actual reason, unless he steals at a very high rate. There's really no reason to send him. I mean, he's never been a, a great base dealer. He's always been fine enough, but not great like a Carlos Beltran with like a 90% success rate. And with Upton, Freeman, McCann, Ugla, all these guys behind him, I don't see any reason why their philosophy would change during the rest of the season and that he's going to suddenly start stealing bases at the pace he has been in the past couple of years. So we might not see 10 stolen bases the rest of the way which is really going to hurt his value. 
So let's do a little would-you-rather game. Over the rest of the season, would you rather Jason Hayward or Matt Holiday? Jason Hayward. Interesting. So, okay. He'll, uh, yeah, I think that he'll, he'll steal just enough. I think uh, Holiday's done stealing bases completely. And I agree. So, yeah. Uh, I actually had Holiday worth about the exact same amount as Hayward preseason in my league, which is why I picked the names that I did. But the fact that Hayward probably is not going to see his steals end up anywhere close to projection, whereas Matt Holiday, although he's off to a bit of a slow start, all of his peripherals look fine, and so I expect a full rebound. And so I think yeah, Matt. But Holliday, how many steals did you project for Holiday? That is a great question. Probably like three. Uh, let's see. Okay. I projected four for Holiday. All right. Well, that's a reasonable number. Yeah. I guess. I mean, you know that. Holiday is the plus batting average guy, and uh, and Hayward is not. So I could see I could see that being the situation. Also, I think the fact that Holiday hits third, Hayward hits second. Although it's good, obviously, because Hayward will get a couple of more at bats, which might lead to an extra home run, uh, as opposed to him hitting third. You can't score more than one run when you're on base, but when you're at the plate, you can garner more than one RBI. You can garner multiple RBIs. And so the third place in the order is the best in terms of run plus RBI totals. And, and so that is a, a benefit for Holiday hitting third uh, compared with Hayward, who might score 100 runs, but hitting second, it's going to be hard to get more than 70 or 80 RBIs. Uh, yes. All right. What about uh, Hayward or Ioannis Cespedes? I'm going to go with uh, Hayward because Cespedes had a high swing strike rate last year, and he's done it again. But this year, the strikeout rate uh, was was more in line with his uh, with the swinging strike rate. So I feel like Cespedes' batting average is going to be even worse than Hayward's going forward. He might steal some more bases. They probably have similar power, but I feel like the batting average is going to be worse for Cespedes, and so I, that's enough for me. And I'm going to disagree again, two for two. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to go Cespedes, basically the same reasons. Again, third versus second, it's gonna, he's going to have a, a slight advantage in RBIs and runs. And those steals, I think, are going to be enough to offset the batting average advantage that Hayward is going to have, which might not be that much because uh, both guys aren't expected to really contribute in batting average. I mean, Hayward might, might bat 270. Given Cespedes a strikeout rate, maybe he's a 250, 260 guy. But I think the extra run plus RBI total plus the extra steals slightly tilted in Cespedes' favor. And this differs from my preseason projections where I had Hayward a bit more valuable than Cespedes, but that assumed I had Hayward projected for 16 steals. I don't think he's going to be on a pace for that the rest of the way, so I think Cespedes with the slight edge there. And last guy, Hayward or Josh Hamilton, who's actually gotten hot recently and is now not too far off of a normal, uh, reasonable projection pace. Well, I'm definitely taking Hayward. I mean, <laughs> Hamilton doesn't steal bases, and he's striking out like a madman. So, I mean, I my rest of season projection for for Hamilton is like 260, maybe 15 homers. All right, this is the one I will agree with you. I had Hayward worth more than Hamilton preseason. I think I like Hamilton a little less than I did preseason, and and so it's going to stay in the same order there. Uh, but it just reminds us with Hamilton that. 99% of the time, a guy that you project a certain way, like a Josh Hamilton, isn't going to suddenly 
lose the ability to hit for power unless you know that there's an injury that he's playing with. And he's going to eventually come around. And Hamilton's up to like 9 or 10 home runs already after uh, an excruciatingly slow start. So he should be fine. He should come close to uh, 30 home runs like everybody expected him to. Well, everybody probably expected more than 30 home runs. I didn't. But anyway, (laughs) uh, let's move along to more closer volatility. First of all, Los Angeles, how could Don Mattingly keep trotting out Brandon League to close games? I mean, is is it is he done? He's got to be done, right? Oh, I, it, the thing that's so frustrating is that they brought out uh, Kenley Jansen for a couple of save opportunities a while back, and uh, and people were like, oh, finally, geez. And uh, then Kenley Jansen just had a couple bad days, and now they're back with Brandon League, like, like. It's hard to tell what's going to happen there because everything d- hangs on the next two days. If Brandon League's going to be lights out the next couple of days, then, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. But I would say that, you know, a, a closer striking out less than five for nine, uh, less than 12 percent is uh, is a problem. Yeah, and nothing really in his uh, velocity or pitch mix really lends an explanation to why his strikeout rate is so down. I mean, his swinging strike rate is down. We don't know why, though. But it's still about league average, which should translate to, you know, a a strikeout rate of 6.5 or 7 per 9, not 4.9. And and the It is career-low fastball, isn't he? Yeah, but barely. I mean, he's still averaging over 94 miles per hour. And and last year he was at 95.2, so it's .8 difference, which is... Not that big a deal. Not that big a deal. Uh, I mean, the thing, the weird thing about his history is, um, for since two thousand, from two thousand, how many innings did he have in two thousand five? Two thousand five through two thousand ten, his home run per fly ball ratio was well above the league average. So he struggled with home runs in his past for whatever reason. So I mean, maybe there's something there that he's just more prone to leaving meatballs over the plate for hitters to whack. But it's weird because you would think, okay, well, maybe his BABIP would be higher than league average too. I mean, if he's prone to the long ball, you would think he would just be prone to hard hit balls or line drives. He's not. His line drive rate throughout his career is like right at league average. His BABIP is 286. So it's really just been the home run on fly balls. And and he's just not stranding base runners this year. So he's having a real problem pitching from the stretch, which is usually something that you think is is just luck related and it could be fixed. So I don't know. It's really difficult here, but it's hard to believe that the Dodgers continue on given the problems they've had with everything with their team, injuries, underperformance. It's just hard to believe that they're not going to make a change. Yeah, and Jansen's good. Yeah. (laughs) Is that he's so freaking good that you know he's going to be successful that – with him breathing down League's neck, it's hard to believe that League has much more uh, of an opportunity to salvage that job. Uh, yeah. and, and another guy, now in Tampa, and we've talked about Rodney before, and it shocks me that this guy is still trying to, to save games in, in Tampa. How could they possibly keep giving this guy the ball in the ninth inning when it's pretty clear that the old Fernando, Fernando Rodney with no control, this is what he is this year. Last year is not coming back. Whatever magic happened last year, that's gone. Now Fernando Rodney is somebody who just can't find the plate, and he'll have the odd inning here and there where he doesn't give up any runs, but he still has a freaking awesome changeup. 
He still racks up the swinging strike, so he can still strike out hitters, but he doesn't know where the ball is going. And I don't think the Rays could continue on this path that much longer if they want to continue to contend. Yeah, and my dark horse in the pen is starting to look really good, I think. I mean, I for whatever reason, they haven't trusted uh, Joel Peralta. They, you know, they've given him a couple opportunities, and they really haven't trusted him. Hold on, him. time out. Did you call him Joel Peralta? Which I have called him. Isn't it Joel or Joel? I don't think I don't think the J in his name is silent, like uh, like a Jose, for example. Uh, I. This is a definitely not the personal pronunciation. I love it. <laughs> so Peralta, anyway, <laughs> I haven't trusted Peralta, Peralta. whatever name you want to assign him. Yeah, Jay Peralta. <laughs> uh, they uh, they haven't trusted him in the past. I think you know. If you look at his career as a whole, Peralta has had issues against uh, lefties. Uh, he's ironed those out with the Rays, but that doesn't mean that they're not nervous that that could return or that they don't sort of protect him against certain players anyway right now. Uh, also, his fastball velocity is not great, and we did find a link between fastball velocity and strikeouts and um, closer changes. So, you know, based on the research that I've seen in the past, the and, I, and this is bad because he's a lefty but i like jake mcgee um he's got the biggest velocity in that pen uh outside of rodney uh he's got it up to 96 over 96 now he had some issues in the early season but he's ironed those out his control is back to a manageable area uh gets ground balls he had a bit of a homer problem early but uh if you just look at his most recent outings he's uh he's doing well and he's getting some holds here, there, and uh, he hasn't had a blow-up inning since the beginning of May. Well, how so. would it look to raise fans and the media if they took away the closer job from Fernando Rodney and gave it to a guy with a 6.17 ERA? I mean, yes, he's only given up one run in three June innings, but it's not like he was better in May, 6.75 ERA. Obviously, we know to look at, we look past the ERA. Obviously, we know this, but... Are the Rays going to be able to look past that 617 ERA and the fact that he actually has pitched beautifully? I mean, his Sierra right now is 263. Are, yeah, are they going to be able to look past it, that? So much of it comes – I've seen this before, but John Smoltz was a, a closer one year, and he gave up some runs early on, and he had to spend you know like two months going scoreless to get the, the ERA down. And view, there's a, there's this year, one, actually. What's that? I remember that year, actually. Yeah, and there, there's this one outing – uh, May 1st, that McGee gave up five runs in, in and got two outs. He gave up, he saw eight batters, gave up five hits, uh, walked a guy and didn't strike anybody out. That was May 1st. Um, then he had two, uh, since then he's had two uh, innings where he gave up two runs apiece and one inning where he gave up one run. And everything else has been a clean slate. Yeah, actually, it looks like the first day of the month is just bad for him. Oh, yeah, the first day of the season, he gave yeah. up five runs. April so if you two out, I'm sure his ERA is, is sparkling. So Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe you're right. Maybe he needs, like, a couple weeks in June. Maybe they can say, you know, maybe mid-June they can say, hey, look, his June ERA is blah, 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 when they're selling it, basically. You know, basically just takes a quote from the manager saying, you know what? Ever since the calendar changed to June, Jake's been really doing really well. We want to see what we can do with him in the closer role. Uh, we're just going to let Fernando try to 
find the play a little bit more in the side sessions and and, and less uh, lower leverage innings. And uh, you know, this isn't this isn't uh, for for long term change. We just want to see what's going on now. And then all of a sudden, Jake McGee is a closer. So yeah, I mean, there, there, you're right to say that there are there that there are there are sort of PR things that they need to do. And uh, you, it may not be they may not be ready to make the move yet. But uh, I, I'm liking Jake McGee more and more every day. And, and obviously. Uh, major league teams are hesitant to make a, a lefty uh, a closer. I mean, for one, they usually like having them to come up in certain situations to face the opposing team's best left-handed hitters. And and putting McGee in the closer role is going to eliminate that opportunity. Uh, and also, lefties are usually not very good against righties. Uh, but Jake yeah, McGee more righties. Have... Yeah. So, I mean, his career splits versus righties, a 328 xFIP. And that's freaking good. So he has no problems with the platoon, and I think he can clearly get it done as long as he can avoid some continued bad luck. Uh, it's just a matter of him getting that shot. And considering Joel Peralta isn't a prototypical closer, and he's, he's such a veteran, and it would be a surprise to suddenly now get the closer job. McGee is more of a, a future closer type guy. So who knows? But yeah, McGee I think is worthy of a speculative pick if he's still available in in your deeper league. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move along to uh, Miami, where Giancarlo Stanton finally has returned from the DL. And here's a guy that I know many fantasy owners must be wondering: how many runs scored? How many RBIs can this guy possibly get in such a depleted lineup? So, does he have any chance of being like a top ten outfielder? The rest of the way? Um, top 10. Well, he doesn't He doesn't have speed. Uh, he doesn't really steal bases. And with his strikeout rate, he's always a risk to put up a bad batting average, uh, or at least a round league average is around 250, 260. So uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a one-cat monster. But, you know, as long as he gets to a 35 40 homer pace there aren't a lot of guys that have that kind of power so i call him a one cat monster i do much better with the would you rathers you know top 10 that means i have to think of my entire top 10 <laughs> um, you on the spot like that yeah but what i you know i think you know we we're just playing the hayward would you rather hayward has a little bit more balanced line uh, in terms of batting average and runs and RBI and stolen bases. So I think I'd take Hayward over him now. You know what I think? I think that he sets a a personal career on base percentage best because I think he's going to get intentionally walked a lot. Intentionally, <laughs> intentionally too. Yeah, and, and I think he's all – that's exactly what I was going to say is that he's yeah. get a lot of uh, intentional, unintentional walks or whatever order you want to say that in. And so I think with runners on, he's just not going to have – a lot of opportunities to knock runners in. So he might not, over a full season, be anywhere close to a 100 RBI pace. And of course, he never has had 100 RBIs, but that's also because his career high in at-bats has only been 516. But I think his RBI, it's going to be kind of like the Barry Bonds treatment, where he might score uh, a decent runs total if the guys behind him actually knock him in. But the RBIs for a cleanup guy or a number three hitter might be lacking especially for a guy who's probably going to be on a, a 35 to 40 home run pace, he might only 
get 70, 75 RBIs, which is pretty pathetic when you hit that many home runs. I mean, the typical math is it's three times the number of home runs is how many RBIs you'll get. It's it's roughly. It's obviously not exact because it depends on how many at-bats, but that's roughly. So 35, 40 home runs, you're looking at 110, 120 RBIs, give it a full season in a cleanup spot in a reasonable lineup. He's not going to come anywhere close to that. So I think it's going to be tough for him, tough for his owners, who are going to get very frustrated with all of his walks. But in an OBP league, I think he'll be massively valuable because he might have a, a high 300 on base percentage, like a 380, 390, somewhere like Jose Batista levels because he's another guy who gets a massive boost in OBP leagues. So he, those two players might be very similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's sad what's going on. You know, there's one little wrinkle I want to add, though. The The Marlins have a lot of nice outfielders coming up. Uh, I mean, they're not... They're not great. I wrote about them on Monday. They're not. They, they all have asterisks. But in Jake Marisnik, Marcelo Zuna, and Christian Yelich, I think that they can find two major league outfielders at least. And the thing is, this is my obligatory Justin Ruggiano mention: is they still have Justin Ruggiano, <laughs> <laughs> who they who they're now looks like they're not even going to start because Ozuna is going to go to center. Yeah, who, who sadly I have now gotten rid of on all of my teams. I still uh, have uh, in labor. Uh, I mean, he's on my bench now. But it's it's sad. I mean, it's really all BABIP because he was still showing good power and his strikeout rate was the same as last year. But yeah. his BABIP has regressed from a, an insanely high level to a very low level. And the Marlins obviously aren't going to have any patience. They'd rather just play the young guns. So. But, you know, I, just, to, just to play devil's advocate and, and, and put this possibility out there, the Marlins have outfielders and need infielders. So um, there's a team in Texas that has a, a great <laughs> infield prospect <laughs> and uh, and has an outfielder who's on a certain biogenesis li- uh, list um, that uh, could maybe use a big bopper for the stretch run. So, you know, I know this is... Are you, are you referring to Lurie Garcia on the Rangers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's kind of crazy to talk like this, but every once in a while that sort of stuff comes true. And um, we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, I, I've been talking about Billy Hamilton coming up to play center for, for Cincy for all, and, and now we're coming right into the middle of June. We know that the Super 2 deadlines are, are kind of falling around us. So I think that we're going to see more interesting things happen now in the next couple of weeks now that uh, people are unshackled by the Super 2 stuff. Um, we're going to see more young players and we're going to see some movement. Now teams know that they're totally out of it or they're, or they're totally in it. I think there's some stuff that's going to happen that is going to surprise us. And one of those could be a Stanton trade. I mean, even to the Yankees, uh, because he's cheap, if they can find a way to put a package together. Um, there, there's some teams that could use uh, Stanton and could maybe put together a package for him. Can you imagine Stanton going to the ballpark in Arlington, uh, a ballpark that inflates offense? Uh, inflates home runs coming from Miami, which, you know, before it was the new park, it was Pro Player Stadium, which was also uh, a pitcher's park. I mean, does he challenge uh, Barry Bonds? <laughs> I mean, what what could we possibly get? I mean, is, is this an 80 home run guy? I, I think he could be. Uh, I just, I want it to happen because it'd be fun. Plus, yeah, it would be. I agree. The Marlins, I mean, God. That lineup would be not insane. the Marlins themselves, or not the Marlins fans, but you know, Loria. Yeah, Jeffrey Loria. I think 
you you and Cameron, I think, wrote an article about them. Uh, I think from both sides about the team giving up and and how from a business perspective it's good and and all that. That's interesting. I defended him from a business perspective just because you have to admit that he's gained the system very well. But that doesn't mean that I like him as, as a person or want to root for him as a as a person or or a, an owner. I mean, I, there are a lot of despicable owners. I I don't know. I don't know if the owner should really be a part of whether or not you're going to be a fan of a team because you know I'm you know I'm a Mets fan and. I don't love our owners. Yeah. Or any of the players on the team, for that matter. Oh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, Josh Satton is coming up, and uh, Jordani Valdespin is going to be playing second. There's some excitement. Woo! You know, I don't hate him like uh, most Mets fandom does. Uh, I know he's a young guy, a little bit brash, talks too much, but Jesus, if that doesn't describe most young athletes... Hey, Bryce Harper is that way. I know. Gee, I saw Bryce Harper do a takeout slide in an all-star game in the AFL. I mean, come on now. <laughs> so uh, I feel like, uh, you know, Valdespin, he doesn't have great on-base skills. That's that's what I don't love about him. Um, but there is some opportunity there. He's, he's definitely worked on his, uh, his plate approach a little bit, and he has some power and speed. And he, I mean, if he can play second. I don't know what's going to happen there. Probably Ike's just going to come back in a couple weeks or yeah, a month. Yeah, got to assume. I mean, they're not done with like Davis. They yeah. got to assume that he'll be back up uh, soon. Uh, I mean, it's it seems like it's just a mechanical issue with the swing, and I'm sure they'll get it fixed within a couple of weeks, and he'll be back up. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But you know, I've never liked Ike Davis' swing. He's got a crazy old hitch in there, and he's always going to strike out. If he can just lay off the outside breaking ball, then maybe he has a good chance. All right, well, that's going to do it for us here. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust for Eno Saris, uh, Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.